16, but as I studied it throughout the week, uh, I realized that Mark chapter 10 gives us a few more details about this interaction that are helpful uh, for us to understand exactly what's going on. And so this morning we will find ourselves in Mark chapter 10. If you are visiting with us this morning, we have been doing a series on the kingdom of God. And we have been looking at, over the last however many weeks, 10 realities that are true of God's kingdom in the here and now. As we seek to advance the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, as we think about the church universal, the church under persecution, we trust that these truths are as real for them as they are for us, because they are God and God's work in the world around us. So as we turn to Mark chapter 10, let us go one more time in a word of prayer to the Lord that he might prepare our hearts for this moment together. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Even as we sang of the ancient words that have been passed down through generation to generation, what a miraculous thing it is for us to consider this morning that we hold within our hands words that have consoled and encouraged a generation after generation after generation. We think of the Israelites and, and Moses and how he wrote to them concerning the power and presence of God. And even now, those truths are still real for us this morning. As we think of the kingdom of God and we think about the exercise of His authority on this earth, Father, may we take great courage in knowing that our God is working. May we entrust ourselves to Him as a child entrusts himself to a parent. We're so thankful for this truth and for uh, the reality that it exposes for us, and we pray that you would impress it upon our hearts this morning. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you remember what it is like to be a child this morning? I am sure many of us as adults look on our childhood with a sense of nostalgic euphoria. We tend to dream, oh, what it would be like to be a child again. You see, as an adult, we long to be a child because it comes with less responsibility and more freedom. This past week, I was walking from the church over to the parsonage, and I heard my kids playing in the backyard on a perfect summer day. And I looked upon them with envy. Certainly, it fills my heart with delight to see them enjoying one another's company. But who isn't just a little bit jealous that they get to play in the backyard all day? And the reason they can do this is because they have someone else taking care of all the things they need to enjoy that freedom. They have a parent who is paying for the very backyard that they are enjoying, or the toys that they are utilizing, or the food that energizes their play. What's funny is that most kids look at adults and long to be an adult because they think there's more freedom in adulthood, says something about the human condition. 
But brothers and sisters, many of us long to be children again. Well, you are in luck this morning because that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to today. He is calling each one of us, beloved, to embrace and entrust ourselves fully to the one who is exercising that same kind of oversight and responsibility over all things, that is, our Heavenly Father. In our text for this morning, we see that the kingdom of God belongs to the childlike. The kingdom of God belongs to the childlike. Notice it with me in Mark chapter 10. Beginning in verse 13, we read this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The kingdom reality that we will be looking at this morning, if you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, is that the kingdom of God belongs to the childlike. Now in order for us to understand exactly what is happening here in this passage, I'd like to take it in two parts. And the first part, the first thing that we see in our passage this morning, is that Jesus rebukes the disciples. Jesus rebukes the disciples. Let's notice the setting first. We, what we find in the context of Mark chapter 10 is that Jesus is in the crowds teaching the people about divorce. Notice in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. It says, And he left there, this is the passage immediately preceding verse 13, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now what's obvious by this question is that the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up. Which means that divorce was a practice that was happening enough that there was at least some debate among the teachers of the law as to whether or not divorce was, uh, um, was permitted by God. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into Jesus' response on divorce, but I think what this passage does, at least this context, is it gives to us Jesus' attitude toward the children in the next passage. We might rightfully assume that the they in the beginning of verse 13 are the parents of those who were in the crowd as Jesus taught on divorce. We might further deduce that these 
children that the parents are bringing to Jesus in order to be blessed could have been the victims of the very practice upon which Jesus was just teaching. It would seem that what is happening in verses 13 through 15 is a response to what Jesus has just taught on in verses 3 through 12. And so the subjects of Jesus' blessing are not only children, but they are children from broken homes and therefore broken themselves. This further impresses upon the reader the spirit of the one who is to receive the kingdom of God. What we notice in this passage is that it echoes Jesus' words in another passage that we have already looked at in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What we see in our passage is that the parents are bringing their children to Jesus in order that He might bless them. The word for child here is the Greek word padia, which is used of children anywhere from the age of 12 and down, even to infants. And so many of those whom were being brought to Jesus are very young and helpless. They are dependent solely upon their parents to receive a blessing from this religious teacher. Now all of the details in this passage are intended to point us to the Spirit that is to be adopted by the follower of Jesus Christ. We are to be broken, dependent, and reliant upon another for our blessing. Now as these parents are seeking to bring these broken and dependent children to Jesus, they are rebuked by the disciples. The word for rebuke is a strong one. It means to admonish or warn forcefully as expressing strong disapproval. The NET Bible translates this verse like this, and you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. It says, Now people were bringing little children to Him for Him to touch, but the disciples scolded those who brought them. The disciples, probably thinking that Jesus is too busy or perhaps too important to be bothered by these children, forcefully deny them access to Christ. Now this strong rebuke is met with an equally strong reaction from Jesus. Notice in verse 14 how Jesus responds to the disciples. It says, But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant. The word for indignant means to become angry at some perceived injustice. Now there are many times that we see Jesus get angry in the Gospels. 
And it's almost every time that we see someone being taken advantage of. This is a reflection of God's hatred towards those who exploit the vulnerable. Needless to say, Jesus is very upset with his disciples' action here. Now certainly, he's upset because they are refusing children. But I think there is a second reason why Jesus is upset with his disciples. It's because the disciples are demonstrating the very spirit that Jesus is not calling for here. They are refusing to receive Christ's kingdom as children and are instead making up their own standards for who should be granted access to the blessings of Christ. This contradicts the very spirit that Jesus calls for that we would be childlike. Instead of entrusting themselves to Jesus, they have made up a standard for themselves. And we know this because it's only a few paragraphs before this interaction that Jesus has explicitly instructed the disciples to receive children. Notice it with me in Mark chapter 9, just a few paragraphs before Mark 10, verse 13. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silence. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, listen, verse 37, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now we're going to come back to this passage in a second when we look at the characteristics that Christ is calling for for those who enter his kingdom. But in this point, what I want us to see is that Jesus has just told his disciples that they should receive children in Mark 9. And in Mark 10, those very same disciples reject the children. And so we go from Mark 9, 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, to Mark 10, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. That's only a span of about 20 verses, give or take. Jesus has just told them to accept the children, and now we find the disciples rejecting the children. You can see why Jesus is so upset at his disciples. And so not only were they rejecting the children, 
but they were also rejecting Jesus. Instead of receiving Jesus' standard, that is the childlike, for entrance into the kingdom, they were determining their own. They had set up their own standard of who was important enough. They were deciding for themselves who was worthy to approach Jesus and be blessed by Him. Now this flies in the face of what Jesus is seeking to impress upon them and upon us this morning. They and we are to receive those whom Jesus has told us to receive, and not who we have determined who are worthy of the kingdom. They were to be as children, receiving the instruction of their heavenly Father. And oh, beloved, how much we have to learn from this interaction with Jesus and the disciples. How often should we be rebuked for our made-up standards of worthiness for the kingdom? How often do we construct our own caricature of whom Jesus accepts? For example, let's do a little exercise together this morning. What I'd like for you to do is to close your eyes for me. Go ahead. Close your eyes. Now with your eyes closed, I want you to envision in your mind the perfect Christian. Now what does he or she look like? Are they strong and impressive? Are they put together and tidy? Do they stand tall with head held high? Are they a person in high position and stately? Do they wear a suit or a nice dress? Or are they small and insignificant? Do they fumble about looking for a hand to guide them? Is there dirt on their face and grime under their fingernails? Do they cry out when they are lost? Do they beg for food and shelter? You can open your eyes now. You see, Jesus' indignation in this passage is more about us rejecting Jesus by replacing His standard of acceptance into the kingdom with our own. So then, who are those whom Jesus accepts? We see in our passage together this morning that Jesus rebukes the disciples for rebuking the children. Next, in our passage, we see Jesus receive the childlike. Jesus receives the childlike. Notice it with me in Mark chapter 10, verse 14. It says, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now if you remember last week, we talked about the necessity of the new birth in order to see the kingdom of God. This week, we see in Jesus' words the necessity of childlike trust in order to enter the kingdom of God, which means that the regeneration of the Holy Spirit does something to an individual's inner man that causes him or her to see Jesus as Lord and Savior because for the first time, it causes us to realize who we truly are. That is that we are God's creatures and therefore are absolutely dependent on Him for all things, just like children. Listen here, brothers and sisters, there is no boasting in the kingdom of God. Because in the end, we realize that we are nothing and we have nothing without God. God is everything. We are nothing. We are poor and defenseless children. And God is a good and gracious Father. Notice this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It is in the insert in your bulletin, but you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, where we see again that God is everything and we are nothing. Notice it in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, beloved, to receive the kingdom of God like a child is to be utterly dependent upon God's every word and work for the salvation of souls. It is to let go of our grand assessments concerning ourselves and to throw ourselves fully, much like a child, on the good and gracious character of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is not looking for the impressive. He is looking for the inadequate. And we know that this is what Jesus means because of the context. Both the immediate context 
as well as the far context. Let's look first together at the immediate context. Jump back up again to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. The passage that we just looked at, we'll look at it from another perspective. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silence. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. What is important about this passage in understanding what Jesus means by childlike acceptance is what we see here that sparks Jesus' example of the reception of a child in verse 36, which we'll look at in a second. Notice in verse 33 and 34 that the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. What we find here in this passage is that the disciples are jockeying for a position in Jesus' heavenly regime. We see it again in Mark chapter 10 verse 35. Now I imagine that these disciples are basing their arguments on who is the greatest, much like any of us would do in a similar situation. If we were arguing that we were better than someone else, we would immediately go to our accomplishments. You graduated with a bachelor's in social work, we might say. Well, how accomplished are you? I graduated with a master's degree in the inner workings of third world governmental systems. You see, we all have this tendency within us to try to one-up the person next to us. And we see here that the disciples weren't immune to this attitude. And so what does Jesus do in this situation? He takes this as an opportunity to teach the disciples a lesson. Notice the lesson in verse 35. And he sat down like most teachers would and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's contrasting the disciples' hunger for power and greatness with a child who is humble and lowly. You see, a child is exactly opposite of what the disciples are arguing for. There are no accomplishments in a child's portfolio. He is the lowest of status. Much like a servant, he has no say in the business of the house. He simply does as he's told. And that's the main point of the passage here, beloved. 
As we approach Jesus and His kingdom, we don't come with our own standards or our own agendas. Even our own assessments of how the Lord of the house ought to run and organize His house. We simply come as those who receive orders and fulfill them dutifully. I love what one commentary said on this passage, and you can find it on the insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. He says this, The use of a child as a teaching aid has explicitly to do with status, not with any character traits supposedly typical of children. The child represents the lowest order in the social scale. The one who is under, hear this, who is under the authority and care of others and who has not yet achieved the right of self-determination. To become a child is to forego status and to accept the lowliest place. He goes on to say to receive the kingdom of God means to be God's willing subject, gladly embracing the radical values which Jesus comes to inculcate. It is such reception now which is the key to entry hereafter. The one who is to receive the kingdom must be willing and humble, just like a child. Again, we see this in the far context as well. Notice how Matthew describes the interaction with the disciples in Matthew chapter 18. Again, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' answer to the disciples' question here in Matthew chapter 18 is that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be humble. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be humble. Now that's an interesting premise that seems somewhat contradictory. In order to be great, we must become the least. In order to be exalted, as we see Jesus say in another passage, we must humble ourselves. Now what is the meaning of this? What does it mean to humble ourselves like a child in order that we might be great in God's kingdom? It means that we must surrender ourselves to the great king. 
in order that we might enjoy the spoils of His victory. The reason we are great, beloved, is because we are connected to Jesus. We are not significant and worthy within ourselves. We are significant and worthy because Jesus is significant and worthy. Everything we possess is because of another. And we must embrace this truth as a child if we are going to enter in to the full measure of God's kingdom. Even the youngest child enjoys the prosperity of the head of the household. Even the lowliest of soldier shouts the cry of victory on the battlefield of history's greatest conquerors. When we surrender ourselves to God and the way that He advances His kingdom, then we will participate in the victory that He enjoys. But in order to do this, we must surrender ourselves completely to God's ways like a child. We must not set up our own battle plan and then try to supplant the plans of the great general. This will only lead us to defeat. We must give our standards and our plans and our ways of doing things over to Him. Only then will we enjoy His victory. Let me see if I can illustrate this concept for you. I have been known to play a few rounds of golf. Now, I may not be the best golfer, but I have spent some time seeking to understand the inner workings of the golf swing. And there's a saying in golf when it comes to the swing, and it's this. You must let the club do the work. You must let the club do the work. Now what is meant by this is that in order to have a successful golf swing, you have to surrender your power and athletic ability to the golf swing itself. You have to let the momentum of the centrifugal force that is created by the swing take over and you have to get out of the way. And everything you do in the swing is to set the golf club up for success. Now the second you try to manipulate the club is the second you will lose its efficiency and this will call, cause poor shots and frustrating rounds. Trust me, I know all about it. This surrender is one of the hardest concepts to grasp because all you want to do is hit that ball and you want to hit it hard. But beloved, that will never do 
Because hitting the club is not what propels the ball forward. Allowing the swing of the club to come in contact with the ball is what makes it propel forward. Not your might and strength. Now there are so many connections to that illustration to what we are seeking to do in the kingdom of God, but essentially, that's what Jesus is calling us to do here. Much like a golfer lets the club do the work, so we as Christians need to let God do the work. We need to let God do the work of regeneration. We need to let God do the work of justification. We need to let God do the work of sanctification. We need to let God do the work of advancing the good news of Jesus to the uttermost parts of the earth. We need to let God do the work of advancing the Gospels on ESU's campus. We need to let God do the work of growing us in our love for Himself and for one another. We need to let God do His work because He has promised to do so. Now, does that mean we are not involved? Of course not. We are like humble and obedient children. We are like faithful and dutiful soldiers. We take orders and we carry those orders out, trusting, giving ourselves over to the oversight and wisdom of our Heavenly Father and Great King. To receive the kingdom like a child is to fully embrace God's way of doing things and then entrusting ourselves to His care. Now, beloved, this brings a level of freedom to our cause that can only be experienced by childlike trust. And so as we preach the Word, as we depend on Christ working in the world around us, as we give ourselves over to His absolute ability, as we even entrust our souls to His saving purposes, we have the privilege of partaking in His accomplishments and in His spoils. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this truth this morning. Father, may each one of us give ourselves over to You. Father, I am sure that there are many in the audience this morning that are as stubborn and obstinate as the disciples. Furthermore, Father, I know that there are those in this congregation this morning that are as stubborn and obstinate as I am. And so, Father, we come this morning seeking for humility. We come this morning with a desire to give ourselves over to You. That just like a child entrusts themselves to a parent, Father, that we would entrust ourselves and the mission that You have called for us to be on to You. 
Father, may we go out with boldness and confidence, knowing that you have called us to do so, and that you will go before us. Father, may we give ourselves over to you in childlike faith. We're so thankful for this truth this morning, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you please rise as we sing our song of response? All I have is Christ. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 37. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind.